we're back. This is Mission on Possible. I'm Coach MJ, your host. Today we're joined by a guru from the United Kingdom who has excelled in nutritional wellness, excelled as an entrepreneur, as a master sales coach, as an individual who's run corporations and businesses throughout the world. His name is Andy Parker. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Absolute thanks for, for uh, allowing me to join. And tonight, we're going to ask him, we're going to drill into some actual special topics for anyone out there who's thinking about starting their own business or is in a business or is running HR of a big department uh, across the world. Uh, and it's going to be about attitude. How important is that? He's a martial artist. He's an entrepreneur. Um, he's done it all. How important is attitude when you're hiring someone, Andy? Well, first off, what an introduction. I uh, feel like taking a bow in uh, tribute to your kind words. Uh, attitude is everything, Mike. Uh, more than everything, it's the only thing. Uh, from a positivity perspective to the way you discipline, handle yourself, the way you handle your processes, uh, there's no greater thing than than attitude. Uh I've been involved with a lot of people over a lot of, you know, a lot of years. Uh, and that's the one key metric which they have to bring to the table more than anything else is, you know, an attitude whereby they're willing to, to give something up, you know, i.e. the price of success has to go with that attitude. I agree. And, you know, so many people today talk about, well, I need somebody who's got a college degree. I need somebody who's got 10 years of experience. All those things are important, but when it really comes down to it, isn't it internal belief? Isn't it the presence of a person? Yeah. It really gives you the feeling of whether they believe it can be done or not. Well, you and I have had uh, some chats at length on this. Obviously, we've linked the warrior spirit, for example, into this, talking about our own chi, that what we invest in that sort of inner balance, which helps us to achieve more. Uh, so I would say the... Uh, digging deep on how to release your own energy, your ultimate energy, which equals the higher levels of commitment. That to me linked to it is, is another key metric to success. There's, you know, over the period of years and years and years that I've been helping others to achieve greatness, there's these little cornerstones, there's these little building blocks that, that you and I discuss. Uh, they've become more prevalent now, more important as the world sort of, you know, verbally being described as on the, de the decline, I completely disagree with that. Out of these times now, these tougher times, I only see more opportunity. But the key metrics that you and I discuss, these are the difference between being a, you could say, winner and loser, but more importantly, an achiever, you know? And those metrics, when it really comes down to, are those building blocks for someone who's looking to hire someone, for someone... Yeah who's looking to make an assessment about someone. Um, just feeling that energy is a real big, important part of that, isn't it? Oh, mate, one million percent. The, uh, you know, the UK, for example, is a, it seems to be uh, an ever-decreasing market, you know, as in uh, the labour pool is shrinking. Uh, I think with the Brexit, that's obviously not so much damaged, but it's, it's taken a lot of people out of the marketplace. So now from an HR perspective, you have to be more uh, fine-tuned with your processes on your recruitment. So, you know, uh, 
CVs, for example, I, I always ask for someone to send a CV, but the CV is the last thing on my mind. It's that face-to-face -face time. I can get more out of someone within five minutes of face-to-face -face time than some you know, three-page A4 CV of nonsense. I'm more interested in the person. Predominantly, people skills match with the desire and, and, and that, uh, that energy deep down. You know, success is, is to me, uh, you know, we're, we're all born with the same ability, potentially, as in to study, learn, study, learn, practice, 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 and achieve what we want to achieve. But it's that first step of the journey whereby, you know, they've got to make a commitment to, to want to do something. Uh, so the recruitment pool in the UK is yeah, shrinking, but I see this as a, a greater opportunity to find those that really want success, you know. And when you talk about success, you've got somebody with the right attitude. How important is process when it comes to things like jobs like sales or sports? I, I see the two together, you know, obviously from a martial science perspective. Well, I, I, you know, we were talking about books the other day and, uh, from our joint reading list uh, about martial science, which you can apply to sport in general, as in the discipline, the key metrics. You know, if you, if you take, uh, as you know, to get the first down, to get your, your first black, black belt, it's the prep, the training, the prep, the training, the constant uh, judging your own performance, but then grading it against others. It's no different to doing a apprenticeship in the sales field. Uh, it's the same, you know, you, what's, what's the key metric? Is it 4,000 hours and you become an expert or something? Yeah, and it's the same. It's the grind. So in sales, you, you've got to do the grind, and it could be 4,000 hours of practice. But uh, discipline is, is by far the, the key metric for me, yeah? You know, you've worked all around the world, and you've had an amazing uh, list of stories that you've been able to yeah. curate over the years. We don't yeah. have to go into so many of those today, but yeah. can you just give us an idea about which country comes to mind where you found that maybe your cultural – background that's a brilliant that's, that's, a little bit more yeah that's a brilliant question for me because you know i've worked in dubai i've worked in saudi thailand you're all across europe just about every country and i've worked with americans spanish you know and it's uh i call it the flavor you know in the uk we have a a, a soup brand called heinz yeah and they've got 57 varieties of soup and some of the flavors like run over into each other and, and i found the same on my journeys globally with salespeople, you know, if you're dealing with a Lebanese guy, it's a, it could be tomato soup with a hint of chili. You know, they've got that little hot ingredient in there. If you deal with a, an Egyptian, for example, would be another flavor. Uh, so from a flavor perspective, the, uh, the smartest I've worked with, as in natural negotiators, would have been, it's between two, it's the Lebanese and, and the Egyptians between the two. Absolutely. It's almost the negotiator side of it. It's almost ingrained from them as kids when they watch the parents buying food from market stores and stuff like this. You know, and it's, you know, people run from the feeling of being sold to, you know, in Europe, especially Brits, Europeans are so scared of being sold to, you know, don't sell to me. You know, it's like utter nonsense, because in reality, we all love being sold to. When I say love, it's getting the perfect product, perfect price, but the experience along the way whereby it doesn't feel like a pain, it feels like a pleasure. And the Lebanese uh, that I work with in real estate in, uh, in Dubai, going back like 25 years ago now, 
and the Egyptians were so silky smooth. You know, it's it's almost like the you know uh, every word is it's like floating off their tongue, opposed to being projected. You know, so by far the most uh, efficient communicators, well at the same time on simple Q and A and next level. They will break you down and find out the innermost secrets from you with regard to your what you want to buy with no effort at all. So, you know, I had the pleasure with working with quite a few back in the 90s, you know, and I learned so much just on, you know, uh, the things said with a smile on the face, closing questions, which would normally be uh, like with the European, where they can be quite direct. They're said in such a manner where you, where you feel almost magnetized to answer the question. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible feeling when you work with uh, bilingual Middle East guys. You know, Syrians, the same sort of thing. I, you know, I had a guy who used to sell, Motazi was called, with a fez on his head. You know, literally, the guy looked like a caricature, but with this smile and, again, the silky tonality. You know, you go into advanced sales and, you, and you're looking at tonality and voice inflections and this sort of stuff and mirroring people. They do this naturally. It's phenomenal. I loved the time. You know, we did about four or five years in the Middle East, and I absolutely loved it. And it, and it set me up. Probably uh, the most uh, influential point of my time was was working in real estate. And you know, I told you before with when I did all the stuff in uh, Saudi Arabia, working on five hundred and fifty million US dollar contracts and stuff like this. That helped me so much in dealing with the Saudi nationals, which are a lot more uh, intense than dealing with like a Bahraini or someone from the UAE. But again, you know, when I talk with passion, I'm serious. I absolutely love that period of my time. Absolutely loved. They, you know, I had to stand up in front of big groups. You know, I used to train every day back then. I'd be training, say, uh, or I'd do, at the start of my day would be interviewing maybe 25, 30 people. Then by by I sort of one that'd be about three six seven yeah by about one p.m. Then I'm doing three or four hours of intensive training each day, two days basic, two days advanced, and then just top up skills later and sort of training five days a week. And with these guys, I always felt like they were training me that I wasn't training them. You know, they were just getting me to give them some rules to justify what they already knew. You know. Anyway, back to you. That's uh, took me back years. Uh, well, amazing. Uh, I've had the, the pleasure and honor of working in that part of the world also. You know. Yeah, you know. Those people, yeah. So I can I can definitely relate to what you're saying. Yeah, you know. Um, it, yeah. I also uh, have to re- have to recant that um, having come from the United States and worked in different countries, um, I found that going to the UK was not that big of a, a jump, but it was in the beginning because I brought a team over to London. Okay. And and this team was about some of my 12 top guys uh, that I brought over when I was a kid, you know, and I brought them over and some of them would leave like in the middle of the night, they would just go home. And I asked one of my guys, wow. from Alabama, I said, Hey, what's going on? Why, why are all these people leaving? And uh, Jimmy, he was from, I think Mississippi or Alabama. He said, I don't know about you, Mike, but there's just too many damn foreigners over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny one, you know, from the uh, the Far East stuff. That was when I first touched on, you know, working with guys from the US. And the, uh, you know, it's like in the UK, 
it's almost like a one cap fits all. If I work with someone from, say, Devon or London or Liverpool or Newcastle, you kind of know what you're going to get. You know, they, 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 there's this British pride, this British ego, and you kind of like, you can dance in around and weave and start to release the best out of people. But uh, like listening to your accent now, it reminds me, you know, I've worked with guys from all over America and versus your accent, which I absolutely love, versus someone who's a broad New Yorker. It isn't just the voice that's different. It's like they're from a different country. You know, the brashness of expression and the the, the uh, vocalising, the negotiation is completely different. And, you know, the uh, the pride of being a New Yorker versus someone who's a Texan, it's like, I've had to, like, meander around that. We have a little bit in the UK of, you know... Uh, sort of natural competitiveness between big cities. But like I said, it felt like different countries, the divide, you know, a Texan, smoother silk again versus a brash, broad, you know, hard like New Yorker. My God, talking, you know, like one's from the moon, one's from the sun. You, 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 different way to handle different people. I only probably worked with a dozen or two, never more than that. But that was that was enough to show me, you know, no, I get you. I totally get you. Tell me this. Um, franchising has become really big in the UK, and it looks like yeah. something that you had to look at and actually mm -hmm. in the middle of launching. How is that working out? It's working out. It's We're, we're getting there now. I, I had a, a very a beautiful concept, which uh, I created about five years ago. And I had some companies come and pitch me. Uh, some experts from the middle of England and say, yeah, right, this is fantastic, your basic concept. Uh, No-brainer would be the phrase to be used. And, and these guys were hunting me for months and months and months. So I've set up the brand, set up the process and set up a company. And I, and I said to these guys, look, uh, I just want to get a few million under the belt as in, in proof of life. So, and it, it relates to the home improvement market, which is a very buoyant, fantastic market to be within. Great cash flow beautiful working with the domestic type clients. But then obviously the pandemic hit and uh, it, it kind of just like stopped everything. Uh, you know, the UK was in a bit of turmoil for it. And thankfully 2022, we start coming out of that. So I, I had to pick the ball up, readjust the model. And then I got a different team into the original team, which do all the legals, IP law, et cetera, et cetera, marketing, branding. Uh, and they, came fresh with their ideas onto the target audience for the franchise. And again, uh, when we went into the key metrics, which is input versus output, knowledge required to achieve and make honest, good levels of income. Uh, again, uh, you know, the, the whole too good to be true thing, well, this is exceptional in, in its core principle. And life's about timing, Mike, you know, and, and what it is is the right time, right place for a simplistic product which people want you know and if you said to me okay what's the shelf life on the concept is going to be probably a decade or two decades so it's it's something where if someone's got a passion for making people feel good uh for example in the uk everyone's got these bolt-on greenhouses the cord conservatories and they've normally got some really poor roofing system which is polycarb see-through or some very old dated double glaze unit these things are too cold in the, in the winter and they're too hot in the summer and there's mold growing, kids crying, you know, dog, even the dogs are upset with the 
this uh, makeshift kennel. We've come up with a system whereby we can we can change that roof really easily and turn it into curtilage where it becomes part of the property. Uh, and the metrics to this, the financials, it makes sense. It makes sense for the for the contractor. It makes sense for the the, the customer. But the net result, the, the biggest Gucci reason, and I love that word Gucci, is that the dynamics of increase of value in the property it stacks. So the, the net result is the shift in money from their bank account into their property. The person who gets the franchise is assisting people in something that changes their life. So positive, positive, positive. There's no negatives to it. Uh, the transition of information, which is the most important thing, that's what I'm working on now, which we want to make this franchise where it isn't just about uh, who you need to recruit, what van you need to drive, what you need to do. It's it's the delivery of it. We're now working on how to teach someone, whether they're a tradesman or a non-tradesperson, how to deliver a value proposition that makes sense. You know, it's a sale without the sale. That's the key metric to this is nobody should be should be selling. It should be, uh, you know, a proposition where they go, thank you. That's the net result. Yeah, and I, I, I admire that because I look at so many businesses today that want to take their business into a franchise, mm. but they don't have the awareness or the ability yeah. to understand how to scale it, how That's, to really make yeah. it. Because having a franchise, which I've done in the past in my businesses, yeah. I just had another office. I controlled it. I got another yeah. owner in. I operated it for a while. I got the new owner in, and then yeah. I germinated, pollinated that way. But you, yeah. you're, you're going to create a... Uh, an ecosystem whereby somebody's going to come in and they're going to get a full turnkey kit from yeah. A to Z with the knowledge, with all of the other things that they will need to be successful. And correct. you'll be able to take that on a national basis throughout the UK. Is that right? That's correct, uh, Mike. But there's a lot uh, when you're talking about breadth, width, upscale, or simply stick to one scale. Uh what, what it offers is a chance to kiss, keep it simple or be stupid. So you've got the people who say, look, you know, uh, I, I want a regular, decent earning from something that works versus the person who's going to be coming back to me and saying, OK, what's all the additional products? Because within the makeover concept, which is taking something uh, which can be recycled effectively where you're not having to destroy it or you're taking a portion of it and you're, and you're delivering an option whereby it's the highest yield for that given uh, project. It's the scalability from that. So we're looking at uh, potential bolt-on solar products that can go on. So we're looking layers past, not too much in depth as yet. I've got like another 10 concepts to bolt on but my, my decision was, as someone who wants people to succeed, my decision was to focus on delivering the skill and the tools in which to be successful. You know, because you look at a lot of franchise models, they're more about just taking a lot of money as quickly as you can and not really worrying about the end user. Yeah, how, do you control, how do you control yeah. the, the, the installation or how do you control the quality of the work remotely? Yeah. That's that's. That's the simple bit, yeah? So the simple bit is because the products we're using are literally the best on the marketplace, we get the backup. So when it comes to, you know, we introduce the products from 
companies that have been manufacturing, say, for like 25, 30 years. So with that comes the backup uh, installation guides, installation meetings. You've got uh, the key metrics, the survey to make sure things are safe. These are all simplistic metrics to, to teach. The, the, the bit which is the, the, the most important bit for these type of franchises is when you're going toe-to-toe with your competitors, it's teaching how to deliver why. Why choose us? So that to me is the, the biggest thing that will equal success as in monetary success, financial stability for those that put their hard-earned money into this is giving them the skills, the brand, the method of execution whereby they can walk into someone's house with confidence and say, use us. This is why, this is what it costs, and these are the reasons you should use us. It's delivering that professional finish whereby someone says, yeah, okay, we want to use you and choose you. Uh, it's you know, it's, it's like, say you line up uh, six international offshore powerboats, yeah? Someone's got to teach you to drive it if you want to be in that race. You can't just jump in it, turn the key and just go off. You know, you'll crash and burn. And it's the same with this. Uh, we'll give you something that's polished. We'll give you something that will equate to income instantly. But we've got to teach you how to like... Uh, not just deliver it, but deliver the value proposition where someone says, yes, Michael, you're the man. That's that's what we want to do, you know. And having talked, and I've spent years playing with the whole franchise model. I've got loads of friends who have bought into, and I won't quote which companies, but they've they've come out of the forces. As, as you know, I was in the, the Royal Navy. They've come out and they've spent their gratuity, tens of thousands of pounds on something which, which would have been an industry they had no experience in. And then they're, they're dumped high and dry. Where do they get their leads from as their inquiries? You know, okay, you're part of a database, but then they give out too many franchises because all they want to do is take money, 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 money. So I've listened over the last two decades to so many sad stories, sob stories where people have just said, well, they've rinsed me and then that was it. And, you know, and I'm, I mean, some of these guys are, are old friends of mine who've taken out second mortgages and they've, they, they, they've been sold this dream Then in reality. Uh, I'll see them in 10 years' time, and they're like driving a taxi or something, you know? So, again, it's it's that uh, professional integrity side of it is that hand holding. But, you know, the good thing about this is when you're selling information, you're selling your knowledge and you're selling your passion. I'm not doing it for free. You know, there's commissions which then get paid back. So my knowledge is, yeah, it's being franchised, but it's being franchised in a way where they're accessing it for quite a low cost with a massive return. So, you know, from a working smart perspective, I can hold these people's hands really easily. My son, we talked about my son yesterday. My son, who I've trained up over the last uh, one-on-one stuff for the last couple of years, prior to that was with me for quite a few years. You know, I've trained Jack up to now with the advanced stuff to where Jack is absolutely prolific. You know, my son as a sales director is prolific. I can send him to anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, and he would be able to deliver and explain how to keep it simple and excel. You know, so this isn't just me. My son is a shareholding director as well, Jack, who's going to be 30 soon. You know, Jack is awesome, and he's got hair. How about that, Mike? He's got a beautiful head of hair. (laughs) (laughs) We're, We're talking to Andy Barker. My brother had died, you know, he's my baby brother, and he he took himself out of the game and uh 
you know, I genuinely wanted to die, uh, knocked on the door, couldn't bring myself to leave my family, my kids, et cetera, et cetera. So when you met me in Thailand, I was broken, but you had no clue. When I met you in London, broken, but you had no clue. Because of the Chinese side of my training, as in thick face, black heart, I was able to create a facade, which was a one-way mirror. Inside, I'm broken, but you never got to see, you know, I'm up on the stage in front of 300 people commanding a conference. No one knew. Underneath, I was broken. I dig deep to everything that I knew from the warrior side, which I kept my problem personal to me. I did not let anyone know it. Anyone, massive drink problem. Nobody knew this, yeah? So it's one of those where inside me, it was the one foot in front of the other. It was the, the key metric was uh, I got into EFT with a guy called Tony Robbins. who's not Anthony Robbins, but Tony Robbins. who was an absolute legend. I'd one meeting with him and there was a guy there who, was, who looked like Brad Pitt. So you've got, and I mean, this guy was Brad Pitt. He fashioned himself on Brad Pitt. That change where I shifted into emotional freedom technique, which I use in sales as well. That was what changed my life. I got into Richard Cracknell, got into, uh, I got into finding solutions rather than just uh, leaving myself in pain. But it was the, I would say, the key metric to me was, uh, was, was, would probably be, it was the bridge. It was the point at which I understood that you could be fixed. And it was emotional freedom technique that did that to me, which is why I become a practitioner got into all the other things. Uh, and what for those like, who don't are not familiar with EFT, is that yeah. also known as tapping? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Meridian, Meridian tapping. I I trained under the best in the world, Dr. Roger Call, Call, Callahan. Uh, but, uh, but I had this taste of uh, EFT. And I did about 25 sessions. And you, you learn, you cannot lose the memory of the event, but I learned how to remove the pain. And in so doing, uh, I lost all grasping attachment to negatives, whereby you kind of then feel you're invincible. So since in that time I met you in London, I've just reached the point where I was I was feeling pretty invincible. And I and I still do now. So if you take me, Mike, I've got uh I've got a broken foot and I'm walking on it. Yeah. Uh I've, I, I broke my knee how many years ago now? I've got sciatica. I used to have a car crash and hurt my back. I had a frozen shoulder, tennis elbow, arthritis in my fist, arthritis in my spine. Got a big crack that runs through my head. And I've got uh, I've done my neck in years ago in the military. So what you've got is the lessons I learned through the emotional freedom technique set me up to be able to, to, to master myself uh, and, and really... You know, it was that, that that one pivotal point where I thought, you know, these uh, meridian tapping things, uh, that set me on a path of uh, where now I am. I've kind of, it taught me to separate my mind from my body. So my, my body is my vehicle. It's not my everything. My everything is my mindset. You with me? So now I'm, I'm, I'm so it's almost like uh, mindfulness. I've separated my body from my mind. That's why I can be effective now at any age. And I can see me having these conversations with you when I'm about 90 years old because I've separated my mind from my body. So that would probably be the, the pivotal thing was the emotional freedom technique is, is that started a journey of separation between mind and body where you become uh, all-powerful, really. What do you think of that as a topic? 
Uh, it's wonderful, and thank you for that discussion. We're uh, with Andy Parker. We're just going to take a break right now, and then when we come back, we're going to ask him about the future. What are young people to do today? How are their work ethics, and what is their mindset? We'll be right back. I've got my daughter working with me now, yeah? Uh, I've got lo loads of family people leaning on me. Uh, and what I've seen, Mike, is in the UK, specifically due to the lockdowns, the, the children now, when I say children, I'm talking about teenagers, they seem lost. Look, drive and feel, not all of them, but a lot of them of have... The, the lockdowns has affected their chi to such a bad degree where they, they need to be with strong leadership to be realigned, yeah? Because they, they you know, this thing where if you say to people enough, stay, stay at home and save lives. These kids have been uh, neuro-linguistically programmed to believe that staying home is, is life-saving. And obviously, I'm from... Uh, a construction family background, which is if you take one day sick, you should not be in construction. If you take one day sick in your entire life, you're not manly enough to be in construction. That's my heritage from my, from my stepfather and my real dad. Is like, it's not manly to be sick, to be home. It's not manly. So I'm from sort of, you know, this archaic caveman world as a kid. But now the children, obviously they're, they're coming up against resistance. You know, I've got a few apprentices that work for me and, and the younger guys and work ethic wise, we're having to reprogram these people because they believe the sickness is saving lives and all the rest of it. Whereas I've, I'm having to re over imprint over the top to explain to them they're part of the team. So, you know, you, what I'm having to do is rather than turn around to someone who's wake or, has been neuro-linguistically programmed to think that not being committed is okay. Uh, rather than bringing anything negative, I'm using the strength of teamwork. The team bond is the way I'm breaking this underlying programming now. So it's like if you let the team down, if you let, you know, you're part of a team, it's your brother. It's a, going back to military basics, really, which is you're part of a unit. That's... That's what I'm working on now in order to try and realign the younger guys because they've, they've been, uh, they don't, they don't under, they don't quite understand because no one's explained to them the, the damage that's have been done to them mentally with regard to their work ethic. Uh, are we, are we on live or am I? Going, yeah, yeah, going, sure. Going down the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's from my perspective is, uh, you know, you have to be careful now. On the balance of what I understand, the children are our future, yeah? This is not a Whitney Houston song. This is, you know, this is reality. These kids are fantastic because they'll save this earth. They'll save this planet because they've been awakened on the good things, which is we need oxygen. We need a sea that's that's not full of plastic. We need fish that's not going to poison us. We need crops to grow. So you've got is these kids are, are so alert now to the state of the world, and I love the fact that they're bringing chaos to the table. And as much as they're saying, "Hang on a minute, this is our world now," you know, you're all going to pass. 
this this is our world. So so you've got this fantastic element of children standing up now and saying, you know, this is our planet. We want it saved. But at the same time, they're going to work and they're causing chaos because of potential sickness and a lack of strong work, work ethic. So you've got this like you've got this bonkers scale thing going on where I look at these kids and I think, you know, you are the future. You're stepping up. You're standing up to a system which is an absolute nightmare because, you know, you take the political system. It's been around for hundreds of years and it's and it's established. But these kids are so funky. They're like, no, we're we're going to we're going to get 150 of us and, and lay on the floor of a, a motorway. You know, these kids are like phenomenal with their commitment but then they're going to work and uh uh and they're not wanting to kind of toe the line because of uh sickness lack of energy lethargy no direction because of what the lockdown has damaged them mentally so from my perspective it's easy as an employer to turn around and say well let's just not have any young people they're aggro, they're trouble, let's not bother. It's the easiest thing in the world to have prejudice towards apprentices or younger people because they're, they're, they've got this energy, which is, which is some of it's really well positioned and others, uh, other side of it is uh, badly positioned because of the stay at home, protect lives, protect the NHS. So again, my angle is, is to use a bit of spin take their mind away from the situations that they're so passionate about and teach them about new situations, which is team spirit, being part of something where I call it loosely speaking, God's work where you take, it could be uh, an installation of someone's, you know, we were talking about home improvements earlier. It could be taking something that's appalling and turn it into an item of beauty. So I use key phrases with these, apprentices with the young people where man you're doing god's work you know you're changing lives you know you're you're creating success by way of a positive emotion you know i i, I am overprinting neurolinguistically with a whole different theme which is you can do something now it's not all doom and gloom but it's got to be hard work orientated getting these guys to to want to you know to want to work a long day to not be on their their phones there's like an umbilical cord to an iphone now or a you know or whatever type of phone that it is uh and kids they, they don't really want to say kids again it's, it sounds uh disrespectful and it's not meant to be that way i'm just i'm just feeling really old so i call them kids but i'm talking 16 to 20 year olds there's this attachment to the mobile phones and it's britain that's another metric of breaking it breaking that blankie, uh, that dodo, which is their phone, not just in their pocket, but leave it in the van and let's do something uh, fantastic. So my approach is, uh, is spin, really. Spin them out, teach them something different. And rather than argue the toss about what they're passionate about, nah, I just overprint with what I'm passionate about and just keep steamroller and steamroller and see. And with the neuro-linguistic programming, you know, within probably four or five weeks, I've got key metric guys, youngsters saying, yeah, we're doing God's work, boss. You know, it's a fantastic feeling when they start using phraseology that equates to passion, you know. But I get them to take photographs of everything they do on a daily basis and then take the pride, take the bow, you know, so again, it's tough going, 
because the world's an ever-changing place, but I just work strong on the basics and keep taking them back to base. Fantastic. Thank we God. were talking today with Andy Parker, author, speaker, military man, and he's been giving us some advice and some insights about the mindset of children today. When we say children today, just a few years younger than the both of us. Thank you. This has been your episode of Mission Impossible. Stay tuned, like, subscribe, and we'll be seeing Andy Parker again, of course, and we'll bring him back on our leadership series. And until then, thank you and have a possible day. God bless, Mike. See you soon.